Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And note that when Sammy says, as always, there's a little bit of him taking me for granted in that sentence. Oh, I don't mean it. Uh, as I said before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our content all over the web, although you'll find my stuff mostly at AutoGuide. And you'll find Ben's stuff, well, you can find him at autotrader.ca, at driving.ca, you can find him at Automobile Magazine, and what else is there? You, uh, you can find me this month, or actually next month, I believe, at Super Street. Oh, wicked. So, we have some cars to talk to you all about this week, and Ben, I think you have the interesting car to talk about, so let's start off right away with a new car from a Japanese automaker named what? Uh, ma- that's an unusual introduction. Uh, Mazda. <laughs> They're called okay. Mazda Semi. <laughs> Question. Is it Mazda or Mazda? It's Mazda. Mazda or it's Mazda. Mazda. There's no debate here. It's Mazda. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. And yes. you drove a car from Mazda. I mean uh, Mazda. <laughs> how many times are we going to have to redo this intro? This is honestly, for everyone listening, this is the fifth time Sammy's had hey. this Mazda, Mazda, pasta, pasta conversation. <laughs> And uh, it's it's a little bit like Let's a, just call the whole thing off. It's a little bit like a, a a vocal warm up for a theater production where he's just saying vowels <laughs> to warm up his lungs. But no, I did drive a new Mazda. I drove the new Mazda three, which is a car we've been waiting quite a while for, just in the sense that it's been teased a bit, and there have been some prototypes about a year ago, almost exactly to the day of driving the the production car. Both Sammy and I drove the Skyactiv X prototype didn't right. we sammy yeah and that's the car with uh compression ignition technology if that's correct right yes that's right so it's kind of like a diesel engine in that it tries to not use a spark plug but it includes a spark plug as part of the ignition cycle it's complicated it's meant to produce power while maintaining fuel efficiency or improving fuel efficiency uh but i can tell you this it is not ready for the market because it was not at what? the drive of the production car that i went to Okay, so new Mazda 3, and they're saying it's going to have SkyActiv-X, but the one you didn't drive doesn't have SkyActiv-X. Well, I drove, okay. two, I drove two cars, but no SkyActiv-X. We'll get to that a little bit later, though. All right. Did the, the other thing that the new Mazda 3 is supposed to have is all-wheel drive. Did you drive the all-wheel drive model? No, those were not there what? either. There Why is... did you even drive a new Mazda 3 if you didn't get the SkyActiv-X or all-wheel drive Because model? it is a new platform. It's an entirely new oh, platform. Okay. Uh, this The all-wheel drive event is in about six weeks, I believe. So it's it's on the schedule. I don't know why they didn't have it at the same time. You'd think that's a pretty big story for them. But it's possible that they wanted to see if they could get two stories out of uh, the same car, which is, you know, in PR, that's a very respectable uh, proposition. So I'm not at all surprised. Lots of getting greedy. <laughs> so... Uh, there's there's two versions of the Mazda 3. So for those of you who aren't familiar, the 3 is the entry-level version Oh, sorry, the entry-level car for Mazda. It sells fairly well for them. In Canada, it's one of the, if not the, best-selling car year after year. It, it kind of goes up against the Corolla and the Honda Civic for that title. It's always in the top three. In the U.S., compact cars aren't as popular, but it's a very, still a very strong seller for the brand. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, the Mazda 3 is actually one of my favorite uh, cars in the compact car segment because of the way it drives and because of the way it looks both inside and out. Well, when you say how it drives, what do you mean exactly? It There's a... First of all, it feels very light um, and agile and responsive, um, and it has really nice, well-weighted steering for a compact car. It seems like basically um, while other automakers 
try to distill um, features into a price point, the Mazda tries to make sure that the the driving joy is still there when you when you have a car that costs around twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, I agree with you that the car has a a very very strong reputation for being interesting to drive, mm-hmm. and that's something that has been important to Mazda and almost all of their vehicles for quite a long time. But the three especially has really embodied that from their mainstream uh, mainstream lineup. I mean, we all know that the Miata is is a ton of fun to drive, but it's oh, not yeah. it's I not. Think, a, I almost forgot about the Miata. You, <laughs> how could you forget about the Miata? I'm just kidding. I email you pictures of it almost every day. I know, um, but, but uh, in any case. That's something that you got to preserve with the whatever new version of whatever Mazda you're coming out with, right? And mm. there was kind of a controversy for the Mazda 3 because they went in a different direction that a lot of enthusiasts were howling about with the suspension on the vehicle. The new platform, it swaps a multi-link rear for a uh, torsion beam setup. <gasps> I no, know. say it ain't so. So... When that was announced, people lost their minds in the Mazda world. Because <laughs> it's this is really funny because I believe another automaker, this is Hyundai, um, went from having torsion beam to um, independent rear suspension in the, in the Elantra Sport. If you remember that, right? Yes. And people were, were like super excited, and they said this really makes a big difference in the way that that car drives. But now Mazda's doing the opposite. Yes. So, and there are reasons for it. Uh, Let's hear it. Well, most of the time when you have a multi-league suspension, people see that and they think, oh, it's, it's going to be great for handling because it's just better able to deal with deflection from the road. Um, you, can, you can tune the suspension to be sportier. That's, that's the general image that it has. But I, I was talking with... The more links, the better. That's what you're saying. That's what people think. That's, more, that's, that's the general consensus. Well, it, it's... Yeah, that's, that's... All the links. Without getting really deep into how suspension geometry works, let's go with that. But there's a... In, in talking to Mazda's engineers during the course of my drive, there's... As would be expected with any kind of car design, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, when Mazda was putting together the new 3, they realized that they wanted to step things up in terms of how the car felt on the road, not from a performance perspective, which they were happy with, but just in terms of how quiet it felt and how solid the car felt. And with the multi-link suspension in the rear, you, you lose a little bit of room for cargo, which is kind of, it's not a huge consideration for this car, although I believe that even with the... Um, the revised suspension setup, it's somewhat smaller inside for the hatch. Like, not it's not significant. It's 3 or 4% smaller in the cargo area. Wait, time out. No, hold on. You're telling me the new hatch is has less cargo room than the old hatch? I think it does. And okay. I'll tell you why I'm not sure about that later. But, okay. uh, but in one private? Thing, no, on the podcast. Okay, good. Once I hang up, we're not talking again for a full week. You know that. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> but... Uh, the, the the other reason is um they wanted the car to be so they wanted the car to be quieter and they wanted it to feel more solid and when you have a multi-link suspension in the rear you rely a lot on bushings mm. and bushings are kind of an x factor when you're putting together a suspension because the materials you use if you're using rubber they're going to deflect they're going to bend they're going to do all sorts of they're going to have all sorts of movement that you wouldn't normally have from uh, a, a a suspension that has fewer points of movement, and if you go to like a poly material, polyurethane material in the bushings, then you get less deflection, but you introduce a lot more harshness and noise into the car. So you're kind of in this situation where it's like, 
what do we really want out of this car? What are most people doing with it? And the answer to that is most people are driving into work. They're driving into the grocery store. They're taking their kids to soccer practice. That's going on autocross or track days, right? No, that's those are the secondary considerations. So oh, when they I'm... when they put the torsion beam in, they were able to tune it so that it would give them similar, if not identical, I believe, uh, st- stiffness in all of the areas they wanted it to be stiff. Like it's it, it's it's less flexible than uh, what most people would think a torsion beam suspension is uh, when when you're driving in a spirited manner, and yep. at the same time, it really reduced the amount of noise and harshness in the cabin. And the car, okay. the car is exceptionally quiet. Like we drove it up Angeles Crest and then down again. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's a road uh, just outside of LA. Kind of, it's it's kind of um, through the mountains above. I don't know. I guess I love that place. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's 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 great for for spirited driving. You're not going super fast because it's very twisty and turny. And actually, we lucked out when there was no there was no real traffic when we were there. But even then, you're you're limited by the fact that you don't want to die because California is a place where there's no guardrails. <laughs> it's not like if you in a winter climate, every twisty road has a guardrail because in you're the winter, limited by the fact that you don't want to die. Yeah, yeah. So you're limited by that. But uh, it drove great. It drove really great. In fact, I had zero complaints about how the car handled. I didn't even get close to the limits of the tires which is impressive i think so i mean but that's the case with every mazda 3 they've managed to make a major change to the rear suspension without disrupting the fun to drive aspect of it and they should be commended for that right yeah for sure uh a couple other things about the car that um our standout, I think, is the interior has been dramatically improved. It looks great. It feels great. They put a lot of effort into kind of making a homogenous feel from all of the tactile feel from all of their switch gear. So when you use a button on the steering wheel, it has I this... love that about every Mazda. Actually, yeah. it's my favorite thing to call out. It's such a small thing to say. Oh, like when you touch a button, it feels like there's a button there. Like yeah, it feels I... like it did something. And it feels like the button on the steering wheel feels like the button on the console feels like the button on the dashboard. You know, it's not like you're – there's some cars you get in and you touch that steering wheel button and it just feels cheaper. Like it's it was, mushy and it's y- like, yeah. So Mazda, they're not a huge company. They they don't have the resources that some other companies have. And again, we'll get to that later when we talk about drivetrains. In private? <sighs> you got to stop pressuring me, man. I'm not going to pick up the call if you call 30 times a day. Okay. I guess we'll do it in public. Um, and, uh, so anyway, the, the fact that they, they've invested in this is a, it's a big deal. Uh, the, the interiors look great. They're simpler, but at the same time, they look a little more upscale. They've changed the infotainment system, which is a big plus for me. Um, they went from previous Mazdas have, and, and some Mazdas are still in the showroom because they haven't moved to this new system. They have a rotary controller and a touchscreen that you can use under a certain speed, but it used a system of tabs at the top, and the controller was weird. Like, you had to tap it side to side and stuff, and it was really hard to use when you were driving. Did, did you feel that way, Sammy? I didn't think it was hard to use. I found it a little simple, simplistic. Um, I think some uh, infotainment systems with touchscreens or bigger screens, you could have mul- lots of information displayed, maybe in half the screen or something like that. And you can switch between things really easily. And I found that the the Mazda system was just one item at a time. No, and if you want to change out of that, you have to go through a couple of uh, of screens. And I found that to be unnecessary, unnecessarily simple. It was a little too obvious. And I and I also found like you, the rotary dial was not the most intuitive when it comes to entering items into a, into an input um, while on the road. It felt like you were like you were using a rotary phone. To dial someone. Yeah, it right? was not, it was not great. 
Uh, so the new system moves to a real rotary controller, very similar to what you would find with, say, BMW's iDrive or Audi's mm-hmm. MMI. Uh, it kills the touchscreen, though. And they've, oh. moved, they've moved the screen back farther on the dash. And that was the reason. They're like, look, we don't want a touchscreen because it takes your eyes off the road if you have to touch the screen. If you use the dial, you can do it without looking. I understand that logic. But by pushing the screen back, it's even more inconvenient if there had been a touchscreen. Like, it's not something you would be able really to do anymore. Um, okay. I'm a really I'm really against that. I enjoyed the two-input format of the old Mazdas. I loved being – like, it encouraged you. Stop the car and use the touchscreen. It's easier this way. And, uh, and I thought that was smart. The thing that I thought was a little weird was I, I specifically asked the designers. I'm like, look, the old Mazda infotainment system didn't have a touchscreen for a while. And then you added one. And I'm assuming you added one because customers asked for one. And now you've gone back to a situation where there's no touchscreen again. And the designer's like, no, we didn't add it because customers wanted it. <laughs> like, straight that, up, was the, that was the end of the conversation. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> okay. I don't think a car company ever adds a feature mid-cycle. Unless a customer has asked for it. So that was a little disingenuous, I thought. But anyway, the new system works well. I like Sammy. I wish there was a touchscreen there, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it's it's very much of a piece. The interior, the touchscreen, the the non-touchscreen, sorry, the infotainment interface, it all looks pretty good. Um, The outside of the car, it's a little more polarizing. Sammy, what do you think of the hatchback? Um, it's got a ginormous, uh, C pillar. What the hell is going on in the back end of this car? And can you see out of it? <laughs> I didn't notice any issues seeing out of it. I didn't really have a problem with it. Look there at, aren't a the ton window of... is pointing straight upward. <laughs> There's not a ton of great angles for the back, but there are some where it looks okay. Like, I don't think I don't, in person, it looks a lot better than in photographs. I was very surprised by that. Okay. Uh, it's so... That's uh, a. That, in fact, I will admit, looking at this car, it looks like they only changed the front and rear end. I can see if you block out the 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 bumpers, it the the midsection of the car looks identical to the current one. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that possible? No. If you look at the side of the car, one of the things that Mazda decided to do with this generation of the three is eliminate character lines. So the side yeah, is got to com- get rid of character. Well, it's completely smooth. There's just, just really nothing. There's almost a hint of a character line that comes off of the front fender just below the mirror and then kind yeah, of disappears before you get to the rear door handle. But anything yeah. below that is is, is pretty much crease-free. Um, so it, a very smooth car. Yeah, a very smooth car. Uh, I, I think it looks fine uh, okay. for what it is. I, didn't, I did not have an issue with, with the design of the car. I think the key here is that I think the old Mazda had um, personality and flavor on the road. It always looked elegant no matter what when you drove it, especially in that red. Like, have you seen this car in red? All of Mazda's reds are, like, the best reds in the industry. Let's, we got to talk about how perfect their their red paint is. All right, I'll take my headphones off for five minutes if you just want to talk about No, no, about it's okay. But, but there was an elegance to, I think, the Mazda design that really stood out, and uh, especially in a, in a compact car segment, an affordable car segment, to have a vehicle that you don't feel ashamed or that that people can look at and turn other people's heads at um, on the road is pretty impressive. So uh, drivetrain-wise, this is where things get a little interesting. Um, oh, yeah, because of the SkyActiveX. Yeah, well, that's one and of the And they all will drive. That's one of the reasons. I mean, both of those things were not there. <laughs> um, and... Uh, the there were two versions of the car for us to drive. If you were Canadian, I got to drive the 2.5 liter sedan and the 2.0 2.0 the two liter version 2.0. of the hatch. Yeah, the, the the hatchback. 
Okay. The Americans did not get to drive the two-liter hatchback. The reasoning being that the versions that were there were European spec, which drops the horsepower to 120. And I think in the Canadian markets, it's around 150, 155. Yeah. So they weren't allowed to drive that at all. And in fact, I heard talk that the first year delivery of the Mazda 3 is going to be 2.5 only. That's opposite what it used to be, I think, right? They used to start with the 2-liter and then jump into 2.5. And I guess doing it the other way around and hitting people with the high-horsepower model first, the the more premium one first, will probably help them in the long run. It might. I mean, it's 184 horsepower, I think. Uh, It's going to be $21,000 for that front-wheel drive car, and it comes standard with an automatic transmission. Um, In Canada... a six-speed automatic that... I mean, has anything been done to this auto? There have been tweaks made to the motor, to the 2.5. It's not exactly the same. Um, the transmission, I was not told of any differences, so I do believe it is the same six-speed. Uh, okay. I don't have a problem with six-speed transmissions. There's not necessarily a need for eight speeds or ten speeds right. in every application. I think that's I, another... I agree with you there, but I do find there's sometimes when there was, like, noise, like, drivetrain noise coming from the transmission, and I wonder. I was wondering if the Mazda 3 with its, you know, improved sound absorption... I, I didn't uh, notice anything like that when I was driving it. Okay, cool. Keep going then. So the uh, the the two liter that I drove had the six speed manual. Um, it drove quite well. Actually, both cars drove quite well. The the two liter with the hundred twenty horsepower though, you really notice the lack of horsepower once you get up um, in the rev range. It just wasn't you know it didn't have a ton of guts past that point. But the two point five is great. Uh, yep. No no complaints at all about that drivetrain. Um, but here's where it gets weird. So if, if you're spending twenty one grand for uh, an entry-level Mazda 3 and you have to spend more money, presumably, we don't have exact pricing. In Canada, we do. Uh, but in the U.S., we don't. In Canada, it costs you about $5,000 to get more to get behind the wheel of an all-wheel drive version of the car because of what trim you have to be at. And that – sorry – when I say I five thousand, I, I think I have that. I think I have. I have some Canadian uh, American pricing. Okay. So what is the what is the all wheel drive price? The base all wheel drive one is with an an automatic transmission for the hatchback is twenty five thousand dollars. Okay. So what does a base Subaru Impreza hatchback cost? I'm gonna. I'll give you some time. Are you Are you asking me? I need to look this up. You didn't what tell I'm me saying there was is, a pop quiz it is in the middle of the of the podcast. It man. costs you eighteen thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh, so what's the price difference? You knew this. Why were you is, asking me? If you is knew it a seven thousand dollar difference? Is that what is that what you said to me? That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So if you want twenty five to eighteen to eighteen, so obviously the Mazda is going to be better equipped. But if all wheel drive is the reason you're buying it, all of a sudden that's a wait. Huge hold price up. Gap. Wait. Back up. Sorry. the 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 four door is actually eighteen five, and the two and the five door is nineteen, and that's before. Um, what four door and five door? What are you talking about here? For the sedan, uh, for the Impreza. Sorry, my mistake. Okay, so so it's what a difference of five hundred dollars. It's <laughs> yeah, it's important to hey, we gotta be we gotta be honest. You can the yeah, you automotive can, honesty podcast. So you can still get a you can still get an all wheel drive compact car for eighteen thousand. That has that's right. Now, do you think this Mazda is noticeably better than the Impreza? In I have not the, driven the all wheel drive Mazda. I have no way of telling you. Oh, that's right. No one has. <laughs> so. I just pointing out the fact that that's a huge price gap, seven thousand dollars. It's it gets really it's hard to understand that. Um, we asked them. Is it though? I mean, the 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 Mazda it it looks like a more premium vehicle inside and out. Okay, I asked. Would you pay? Six thousand dollars more for that? I don't know. I I asked them. I asked the uh, the director. um, Actually, let me see if I can get his name. The project manager. 
for uh, the Mazda 3 project. Um, Kota Beppu, I, I asked him, like, look, is your decision to make the Mazda 3's all-wheel drive system so much more expensive than competitors? Is that because you're trying to push Mazda into the premium space? What does that mean for you? And he's like, well, we don't consider the Impreza to be a competitor. We consider people who buy the Impreza to be more into outdoors activities. And I'm like, if you don't consider the Impreza a competitor, you've kind of really missed the mark <laughs> in introducing a compact all-wheel drive car. I mean... The, I, what, the only other one? Isn't that <laughs> the only other all-wheel well, you drive can get a, you can get um you could get a focus rs and you could get a golf r but other yeah, than that i mean if they're gonna if they're gonna say the impreza is focused towards outdoorsy people the rs and the golf r are for performance oriented buyers so right? it's it's just kind of strange i think i i don't know I, it, that is that is a very canned response that I think um, discredits poor Subaru. I think the Subaru Impreza is a, especially the newest model when they updated the the platform to the the new global platform is very good, very fun to drive, surprisingly fun to drive. Actually, it needs power. It needs 184 horsepower to be exact, but um, or an engine that is 184 horsepower like this Mazda three has. And they but, also they also uh, Beppu also told us that. He wasn't interested in the idea of a signature trim level Mazda 3 because you'll notice that a lot of the uh, uh, SUVs that are coming from yeah. Mazda have that signature trim. and the Mazda, wonderful. 6, the Mazda 6 has it as well, I believe. And, they're great trim levels. I love them. And we asked we asked them that because, you know, a lot of the presentations they were giving were talking about the idea of like a premium car. But their their view of premium car is not necessarily luxury. So uh, I don't know. It was a little odd. But I, let me tell not you. Not necessarily luxury, but what is it? So, yeah, exactly. And, and what they, are they, they going that, up against here? Well, I mean, they're going up against, theoretically, all the cars they were going up against last year. Except the Impreza. Except the Impreza, I guess. Maybe they've never gone up against the Impreza. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's, it's a good car. It's a good car. Uh, yeah. I just There's a couple decisions about it that are a little harder to understand in terms of their market market position. And uh, the, the absence of Sky Active X... That really that's that's not great for Mazda because it's something they've talked about for a long time, and we all have memories of the diesel engines that never made it to market. Yeah, from Mazda, at least not Absolutely. to North America. So I really hope that Skyactive X isn't another program that they dumped a bunch of money into, and then it just was never ready for prime time because that seemed to be their future. And in fact, when we were talking to them, uh, Beppo was saying that he thinks the Skyactive X engine is going to be one. For enthusiasts who are interested in performance, which is an interesting thing to say, given that I think they want it to have 150 horsepower, <laughs> which would be less than the 2.5. So it was confusing in some ways to have the conversation. But Sammy, we've talked a lot about the Mazda 3. But I'm not, I don't think I'm done yet, though. I want to still talk. This Mazda 3 is very important. I want to talk. About I'm not done talking about the Mazda 3, but I wanted okay. to skip ahead to the presentations that I was given. Okay. That were a little unusual from what I normally expect at, a, at an auto. I was terrified. I was worried that you were going to throw it at me and I have to talk about my car when I want to talk about the Mazda 3. <laughs> well, I, so this is the first presentation drive experience, first drive thing I've ever gone to where they had a human skeleton um, on display in the presentation room. Yeah, to and, remind you of what you really are beneath. All yeah, just to remind us that we're all meat sacks and that, <laughs> that ultimately we turn to ash and the universe forgets us. But in between, we have to worry about our pelvis. So I heard the word <laughs> pelvis conservatively 65 times during the course of my day with the Mazda 3. And that's because 
The car That's how was, you drive the car. That's where the steering wheel is. I, yeah, you drive it with your pelvic bones. It's a unique and revolutionary. If you don't have a pelvis, you can't drive this car. Oh, that is discriminatory. I agree. So the car was designed. <laughs> okay. Come on, compose yourself. I Let's was told repeatedly that the car was designed with the idea of centering around the human pelvis to reduce head movement and to make everything feel smoother and more planted. Okay. This was beaten into us over and over and over through the course of the day, not just with a presentation involving the spine and the skeleton and and demonstrations of how your skeleton and pelvis work, but also because they put oh, us sorry, in... Sorry, what demonstrations of how your, how your pelvis and spine work? Oh, yes. It was quite detailed and anatomical. But uh, we were also... In particular. We were put in a car with no passenger seat where they actually had like one of those... It was like a... It was like a small... I would say two foot by one and a half foot plastic piece that was mounted on springs. And it was like sitting on an ergonomic ball. Like if you've ever been to an office at a dot-com startup and they have those balls that you sit on instead of chairs. I love those. It was like – I know you do. It was like that. It was like that except it was in a car. And then you had to sit in the car. First you sat in the previous generation Mazda 3 and were driven at five miles an hour with those seatbelt. Um, and, and a guy talking to me, like with this very soothing voice about, Hey, yeah. does this feel smooth? How does it feel? Are you feeling good? Like that. I asked him at the end, I'm like, did they choose you for this? Because, because your voice is so soothing. And he's like, this is what I do as a full-time job. That was his whole answer. Um, but they drove us in a circle a bunch of times and they're asked you to balance yourself on your pelvis. Yeah. And then they put us in the new car on the same seat and asked the same thing. Honestly, I took nothing away from that exercise <laughs> except, except for pelvic they're trying pain. Some, they're trying something <laughs> new. Okay, pelvic so pain. I will relate to this. I went to the um, introduction of G vectoring control or GVC, which is Mazda's um, – what's the best way to describe it? It's their torque ve- or their brake vectoring system that helps the vehicles handle a little bit better and make the feedback loop between the, the wheels and the steering wheel um, – shorter smaller okay and they asked us to do something very similar where they were like we have to we want to measure how much movement happens um between you and your head and your hands and the steering wheel and the car and they want to prove that using the g vector and control that that the movement between the car and the wheels and the uh, sorry the steering wheel and the car led to a the change in, in movement led to a smoother ride. It was so minute and so subtle that it's something that is so, um, I don't know, like it's 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 out there. You really have to be seeing it on a chart to see how much your body moves in comparison to the new generation, last generation model. And it's yeah. something that I guess after, you know, similar to how they, they took Skyactiv, their Skyactiv mindset, which is to shave grams in every single way, to improve the the lightweight uh, the lightweight nature of the Mazda vehicles, um, I think they're doing the same thing here, where they're trying to make a smoother car through every mean and measure possible. I think that it's possible that my pelvis just isn't finely tuned enough to like detect the level of change that's that's being I don't know brought to the table by this particular. Is design. it a placebo? That's the real question, right? I don't even. Trying, they're not trying to fool you. No, I don't think they're trying to fool me. I just don't think it was a useful exercise. Um, okay. And uh, non-useful exercises are, you know, a common danger in our business. <laughs> it's, it's something that we... So de- they didn't have... 
They didn't have an all-wheel drive model. They didn't have a Sky ActiveX model. They spent you spent a lot of your time in this seatless version of the car. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of pelvis action. Um, that was that made up for, I guess, all the stuff that was missing. Wonderful. I mean, it meant well, but I don't think it was helpful. It wasn't. It was okay. That is interesting. Um, but it's interesting to see the various ways that automakers are trying to present their their uh, what they perceive as upgrades when we don't know always how to um, describe that to people. The Sky to Bex was was interesting because that was a very very difficult subject matter to explain. And until we started driving the car and understanding what it feels like, then we can go back and take a look at the technology and, and understand it a little bit better. That's but how the, I took The other problem is like something like this pelvis thing. And they kept talking about human centric design as relating to this pelvis. I mean, uh, as opposed to all the other cars, which are designed for what? Who? Robots. Robots. Androids. Human centric design. But Androids all of our are human like, Yeah. So it's 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 like you can't you can't make a consumer understand that. It's not first of all, I'm not saying that because consumers can't understand it. What I'm saying is it has no impact on the buying process. If you if you say cons- uh, human centric design is someone who wants to buy a car, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's not something they can use when they go into the showroom and say, Oh, I, mean, I like that. It, I want to be shown another car by Mazda and be like this is not human-centric design. This is a design for a dog. It's a design and, for ants. Yes. And then they could point out the Mazda 3 and it's like human-centric design. I, now I see the difference. Yeah, but so, to me, all of our cars are built between well, – from what I understand, human and uh, like physiology has two legs, two hands, a head, a, eyes on a head and ears that we could, we could place this human body in a seat and it can work. So, Sammy, I think I've said enough about the Mazda 3. What, what, I love talking about this. I know, but you're, I'm tired of you avoiding talking about what you, what you were driving. So how about we just skip to that? Okay. So I drove a new Kia Stinger. I know we've talked about the Kia Stinger a lot in the past two years that we've been doing this podcast. Because the Kia Stinger is a very important vehicle, it's a, it's, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a compass for the Kia brand. And I drove the two-liter turbo all-wheel drive version of the car. Um, in Canada, this is a brand new trim. You talked about it before. It's called the GT line. And uh, I came away very impressed with this vehicle, similarly to you. But we, I didn't have all the weird problems that you had, which was a set of mirrors that didn't want to listen to you. It's, it's only weird because it didn't happen to you. <laughs> it's weirder now that it didn't happen to me, yes. Um, I have to admit, I was worried because my experience with the Stinger in the past was with this great engine. This uh, It's a three-point... Three liter turbo, I think. Let me double check. Um, it's yeah, so three it's liter turbo. Twin three point three liter twin turbo V six that made three hundred and sixty five horsepower and three hundred seventy six pound feet of torque. If we're being, I don't know, as conservative as Kia is being, I think it feels more powerful than that. It is a fantastic engine. If if you come away from this podcast with nothing else but the pelvic the pelvic situation in Ben's Mazda 3 and the 3.3-liter twin-turbo V6 being great in the Stinger, I'd be happy. But there's also a pretty good turbo inline four, one that makes 255 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque. It is pretty good. It is surprisingly good. Like, it is on. It is easily as good as the, the lights of what you'd find in a BMW uh, 330, uh, and, a, and a Mercedes-Benz C-Class, uh, I think they're called the, th- the C300. I think it's a great engine. And um, I was expecting it to be overwhelmed by the all-wheel drive uh, you know, uh, equipment in the vehicle. And not to mention, this is a, a pretty well-equipped all-wheel drive Stinger. So, I mean, we've got leather seats. We've got um, – it's a big car. 
I was expecting it, you know, the weight to to really bear on this poor four cylinder turbo, and it didn't. It felt as enjoyable as before. And so, uh, was there anything unusual about the the drivetrain that you noted when you were driving? Like, was there any kind of like hmm, maybe that's not uh, what I expected, or it, was there anything that didn't? Because you, you compared it just now to BMW and Mercedes, mm-hmm. and th- both of those drivetrains are fairly smooth from those automakers. So, did you have the same level of of smoothness from this from this car? Smoothness, yes, especially in terms of um, you know the the linear buildup of power. The one issue I have with the Stinger, and I and I vaguely recall you talking about it because sometimes i can't remember all of my notes about what you said but the tip in the throttle tip in it doesn't feel like the most um enthusiastic car to get off the line which is um which leaves you with a sour taste the moment you start driving it but as you start moving around town and getting up to highway speed and and accelerating or pa- making a pass it feels far more responsive but okay. that immediate tip in that starting process it feels like, like it's turbo leg it has to be but um, it's it's just not as as responsive as I was hoping it to be. Fair enough, fair enough. So- I have to admit, though, like the Stinger to me, it I I always look at it and I say that's a pretty good looking Kia. Um, and then you jump inside and you're like, wow, the technology is pretty solid for a Kia. And then you drive the car and you're like, this is a pretty good for a Kia. But then every single time I get away from it and I start looking at what else you would buy at that price point, this car starts without the all-wheel drive system, at $32,000 in the U.S. Um, that's a wicked price point for something this big, this premium, this refined for... Um, and, and I think it's it's time to stop saying for a Kia. And with all-wheel drive, it comes at $35,000. That's a killer price for a really solid, um, sporty-feeling, large sedan. So who do you think it's competing with? This is the toughest thing, right? Because at $35,000, you can get a, you can get a really well-equipped uh, Camry or Accord, um, and those might not have as much space, and they're definitely not as much fun to drive, no matter what Toyota keeps telling you about their wild-looking uh, Camry, which is better to drive than the last one. The Stinger is, is still uh, a more sporty feeling vehicle it's interesting that you would put it up against against the camera because i mean you have that hatch too which kind of uh really right. improves the, the practicality of the car and it's i it, think it's is it a bigger car than the camera inside because it kind of feels like it, it is but that could be that could be um it feels that way because of that sport back design that lift yeah back. it can be deceiving and i want to compare it to something like the nissan maxima um, I think that's a pretty good uh, comparison, but that's a front-wheel drive vehicle, so it's not quite um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's not quite sporty as much as you sense it's a Ford DSC, which apparently means four-door sports car. And I find the Kia Stinger to be a four-door sports car far better than the Murano ever could be. So we're stuck here with this rear-wheel drive, all-wheel drive vehicle that is fun to drive, that's sporty, that's large. And I found one other vehicle to compare it to, and I think – We'll talk about that next episode. Is that okay? Ben? That's totally fine. And you know what? Okay. That next episode, why don't we why don't we uh, just tell people what we're going to be talking about on the next Wait, episode? Wait, I just said that I'm going to talk about this car in the next episode. Yeah, so let, let's – yeah. Okay, so fine. Let's skip so to that. I, it's, I found... st- no, I'm saying is this oh. episode is over oh, <laughs> and now we, we can talk about what's coming up on the next episode for people who want to hear your comparison. Next episode. I will compare the, the the GT Stinger or the GT line Stinger. That's a four-cylinder turbo with all-wheel drive. I'm going to compare it to the base all-wheel drive Dodge Charger. Oh wow! 
What do you think of that? I think that's interesting. I mean, base charger is not something we've talked a lot about on the podcast in the past. Not base base, but it's the SXT model. I'm not sure. It, it had a couple of additions, but this is the all-wheel drive with the base engine. That's the the, the three point. Oh goodness, six liter Pentastar V6. Yes. Okay. And uh, that was a really fun comparison to, to go for, and it shows two different approaches to a car that big with a rear-wheel drive platform um, and different ideas of what premium um, and luxury driving is like. So I can't wait to talk to you about that next week. So next week, I'm going to be bringing uh, to the table the 2019 Honda Pilot, which was a vehicle that had kind of a Jekyll and Hyde experience with me um, during the week that I had it. Yeah, it was. It had two distinct personalities, and I'm glad that I got to see both of them because if I'd only seen one, I probably would not have been as jazzed about the vehicle. So that'll be interesting to talk about, too. And uh, in, in the meantime, there's something else Sammy and I would like to talk to you about. Um, we've been putting out our bonus episodes of Star Oh, Car good. Face I, thought th- I was worried that you were going to do our, PS- our like, PSA about... No, you know, like- but le- legally we're required to do that PSA about, about <laughs> keeping, kids, keeping kids off drugs. But we're... <laughs> They didn't say when we had to do it, so yeah. we're going to do it in December 2020. So instead, we're going to talk about the Star Car Face-Off episodes. So we we want to thank you for being good sports and downloading them and listening to them like you did. Uh, we appreciate that. And we got some great feedback from people mm. about them. Generally, it was well-received, but uh, it seems like they're not necessarily the best replacement for regular episodes. And we hear you loud and clear on that. So yep. our plan moving forward is to continue to produce these bonus episodes, but they're going to be released within the same week as a regular episode so you won't have to choose between them and you won't have to go a full week without hearing sammy and i argue about what we're driving <laughs> uh so, so that's that that's... will happen but that will happen in the future we're not quite sure when we'll when we'll be able to combine the two in a single week but we promise you'll have more of the unnamed automotive podcast in your podcast client so and we want to thank you for sending that feedback if you want to send more feedback if you want to complain about um, Sammy's pronunciation of the word Mazda. You can get us. You can get in touch with us in a number of ways. There is a, a feedback link on the unnamedautomotivepodcast.com website, which is the most direct way. But you can also reach out to us on social media. You can find me uh, on, on Instagram, where people are friendly and fun. At Hunting Benjamin is my my handle there. You can find Sammy on Twitter, where people are horrific and just That's basically not true. I've had so spread lies and disinformation about the <laughs> um, and he's. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also email me, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I still use email. I think I'm the only one left. Um, if you wanted to download our podcast or subscribe or listen to older podcasts, Sammy, how would you do that? Well, I recommend you just go to the website, uh, named automotivepodcast.com, And when you go there, you will see a bunch of links at the top that will point you to your favorite podcast client and subscribe to the podcast there. So we've got Spotify links. We've got uh, Apple, what is it called? iTunes and Apple Podcasts. We've got Google Play Music and Google Podcast links. We've got even, did I say Spotify? I love Spotify. And you can also and, find us on the dark web with your Onion browser. Don't forget. Right. Um, so that's it for this week. And I can't wait to talk to you about our comparison next week and whatever Ben was talking about with the Jekyll and Hyde situation and his Honda Pilot. So stay tuned and be sure to check that out. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.